Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. As always, if you're out there on Twitter, please give John a follow at John Littering. That's J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You could follow me at Ski 52 Today, John and I are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 211 coming up this Saturday in Dallas. Before we get to that, though, John, thanks for joining me today here. Um, a lot of the summer cards are starting to stack up here since uh, we last spoke. We're talking 212, 213, 214. Any particular fight out of that whole bunch that you're most excited for? You know, as crazy as it sounds, um, I actually think I'm excited the most for this card. And the reason for that is I think all five fights, well, maybe not the, the Cejudo Pettis fight, but the other four fights on the main card, you can make a case for either person winning. Um, you know, true toss-ups. And the UFC holds so many events these days that it's you don't always get that. Sometimes you get some lopsided main events and co-main events. 
And I don't think you have that here. And I think that obviously makes for a good card. And really, they're all high-profile fights with the title implications in their respective divisions, which is also Mm -hmm. something, again, you don't see every day in today's day and age in mixed martial arts with all the events they hold. So um, this is actually the card I'm looking most forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And part of, partially, the, the, a lot of the ones that are upcoming are quite a bit incomplete. But I agree with you, John. This card, two title fights, and the rest are either top contender or tighter, title eliminator fights. Uh, I do admit that I, uh, I have a soft spot still for uh, for John Jones and Daniel Cormier. That's looking more and more like 214. Uh, and, of course, uh, if they do that with the co-main of Chris Cyborg and Megan Anderson, that would be pretty crazy, too, here. So just just a lot a lot going on this summer, and it's all starting to shape up. Of course, we're going to have all the latest news, fight announcements, uh, injuries, camps, what have you, here on rotowire.com. But, John, we've got one of the most uh, close—I mean, there's so many close fights on this card. Like you mentioned, it was one of the hardest staff picks uh, to do so far. Of course, staff picks coming to rotowire.com later today. But, John, let's get it started with the heavyweight championship main event. I'm talking Stipe Miocic against Junior Dos Santos. Uh, Miocic has the edge in Vegas odds. I've seen him anywhere from minus 125 to minus 40, depending on where you look. He's also got the edge in DraftKings salary. He's 8,500 compared to Dos Santos, 7,700. John, this one has a little bit more room for analysis because these two have fought before. How different is it going to be this time? Well, I think it's different in the sense that the first fight which um, Dos Santos won was a back-and-forth fight where both guys inflicted plenty of punishment on each other. But we have to keep in mind, that fight was two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And Junior Dos Santos has fought just two times since then. Um, a knockout loss at the hands of Alistair Overeem and a decision win in his last fight in April over Ben Rothwell. So the one thing you can say about these two guys is that Miocic has been the more active fighter. He's fought four times since then, obviously won them all, now the current heavyweight champion. Um, I I picked Miocic, and, and the reason I picked him is because usually Miocic has an athletic advantage over whoever he fights. You know, he has good footwork, he moves well. I would say he's a better athlete than Dos Santos, but not by a huge amount. Dos Santos moves pretty well himself. But the reason I picked Stipe is I have more confidence right now in Stipe's ability to take a beating than I do that of Dos Santos. And we say it all the time, when you get guys who are this big and hit this hard, it pretty much often just comes down to who can eat a punch and who can't. And you look at a guy like Alistair Overeem, who you know, hits like a truck and lands plenty, but has shown time and time again that he can't always eat a punch himself. And if you can't eat a punch in this division, you're not going to be successful. Now, Dos Santos has been in plenty of wars where he's eaten plenty of punches and come out on top. The first fight between the two guys is a perfect example. And, you know, I this is not a fight where I see a whole lot of separation either way. Um, I guess Miocic does deserve to be, be, be the favorite and for no other reason because you know he is a champion and he's on a nice winning streak but i would be far from surprised if dos santos won mm-hmm. yeah uh early preview for the staff picks is we're looking at about a split but john i'm with you and i, I think i have to go with the champ on this one i, I doubted miocic the last time when he was against Overeem, but you had the breakdown exactly right where 
Miocic ate a couple shots, and then he delivered them, and he finished the fight against Overeem. And, and the odds to finish on this one are very uh, – it's a pretty impressive minus 325. That's been moving around a little bit over the last few days. But uh, So if you're searching for the uh, knockout bonuses on DraftKings, uh, you definitely might want to get a piece of this one here. And, yeah, if you're looking for a Miocic early finish, uh, that's something. But I don't know if Dos Santos is someone that's good. I, I, I would say maybe Miocic by some sort of – like I would say second to third round TK. Yo, that's kind of my gut feeling on this one. What about you, John? Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I would certainly wager um, that it wouldn't go the distance. And again, it's just because it's it's two big guys who, who hit so hard. But again, and you look at Miocic's um, win when he won the title from Reese over Doom, where he essentially knocked him out cold off of his back foot with one shot. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. just the kind of power these two guys have. And I said in our preview article. I'm. I still think Cain Velasquez is the best heavyweight in the world, and I imagine with the way things set up that he's going to get the winner of this fight. At yeah. that point, I would probably pick him over either guy. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you wanted to again, if you wanted to make a case that this is the number two and three best heavyweights in the world, I'd certainly listen. And again, when you get in that top tier heavyweights, the first five or six guys or so, there's not a whole lot of separation. The, Division drops off dramatically once you get past that. But right, you know, in there between, you know, one through five or one through six, depending on your view on a couple guys, everybody is pretty much jumbled together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Verdum, Overeem, all those guys get in there. I believe Verdum and Overeem are going to fight at UFC 213 in International Fight Week, but don't want to get too ahead of ourselves there. We're both on Miocic, but we both think it'll be pretty close fight here 8500 on DraftKings. that's just over the average so he does become very affordable if you agree with us and one of you stipe in those DraftKings lineups here let's move on to the co-main though john now we've got a strawweight championship the second belt on the line we've got Ioana and jacek of course you champion here as many know her versus jessica andraj here you getting the respect as the champion a minus 170 favorite she's 8800 on DraftKings. Kings and Draj is 7,400 on DraftKings. But you make a good point in your article, John, that you think Andraj is the toughest opponent that Yun Jacek has faced to date. Can you explain why? Um, I do, and I picked her to win. And I, you know, I under- that's definitely an upset pick, and I understand why she is considered the underdog. But she hits harder than anyone by far that anyone, than anyone Joanna has faced. Joanna has faced um, a couple very a strong wrestler in Carla Esparza, a very powerful woman who excels everywhere but isn't elite in any um, one um, area in Cuadrigadea. She beat her a couple times, and um, her win over Karolina Kolokovic was, again, another fighter who fights like Joanna in the sense that it's a lot of high-quality Muay Thai and hand positioning and hand speed and combinations, but none of these women hit as hard as Andrade does. And I say this every time I talk about her, she's so physical and so muscular, I have an impossible time believing that she can make the hundred, well, this 115-pound limit, but she's doing it, and it doesn't seem to be a drain on her body in the sense that she will be drawn out by the time the fight rolls around. And this is essentially going to come down to I think I because I think Andrade is going to land. We've seen her hand speed and how much power she has. I think this is essentially going to come down to if she can Andrade handle 
the barrage that will come her way too. Because in order to win this fight, she's going to have to, uh, you know, defend plenty of combinations from the champion herself. Mm-hmm. But you know, th- again, you have to look for upsets, and this is uh, this is one I'm certainly picking. I just think Andrade has the power to make a difference. Oh, I know she has the power to make a difference, but I think that she has the power to pull off the upset here in a fight that you can make a case for both women. And I, I think is closer than the odds and salaries indicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The big question with Andrade, of course, she's a former bantamweight that's moving down a weight class. And, and a lot have wondered how is she going to hold up during that cut? Cause a lot of people making that big cut, their conditioning tends to suffer a little bit. But I did see enough from Andrade in her last fight against Angela Hill that went the distance and Andrade was able to take the unanimous decision here. I agree it's going to be a very, very tough test for Joanna. She's going to have to really watch herself in those first couple rounds because that's the path to victory for Andrade is a stoppage somewhere in those first couple rounds. However, I think the champion is going to be able to outlast her. And once we start to creep into those championship rounds, that's where we haven't seen Andrade before, and I think that might be when the cut starts to get her. So I went with Chalk here, and I picked Joanna in this one. I think she's a decent DraftKings play, too, because I don't think, even though I don't think she'll finish Andrade, I think she'll land enough shots to be able to uh, rack up the striking points, and, and that'll be big. And Andrade, or I'm sorry, and Jacek to me almost seems like, I don't want to put her in, in like Mighty Mouse or old Anderson Silva territory just yet, but she's one of those fighters that, I'm not sure I'm going to pick against until I actually see her lose once. And, and, and much respect to Andrade. For the record, I think Andrade, the UFC just announced the flyweight division. I think that division might be perfect for Andrade, and I would not be surprised to see her crown champion of that before the end of 2018. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's a little crazy because this was a fighter who, when she fought at bantamweight, really was average. You know, she was she was nothing nothing spectacular bantamweight mm-hmm. and she drops down and again you see a lot of fighters drop down thinking that their power will play in the lower division but it creates all sorts of other problems cardio trained issues all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and this is one and we see it sometimes but this is certainly one of the cases where it worked out and uh, i i agree that any um win by andrage is going to have to be not necessarily early in the fight but i would think it would be sudden in the sense that you know maybe she lands one big shot that starts a combination to end the fight yeah and i'm thinking yeah first or second round if that if that comes to fruition there but you know uh five foot two andras so it's not like she's she would have been a very very small bantamweight so i can see uh her career going in this direction and it's gone well for her so far i do not think this is the first title fight we'll see andras and she's just 25 years old a brazilian she'll be back uh, i have little doubt about that yeah, she will. And, you know, again, you brought up a good point before in the sense that Joanna has had all these big moments and, you know, headline, you know, gigantic shows and all that stuff. And this is the first time Andrade is doing that. And, you know, to some people, it, you know, some fighters, that gets to them and it mm-hmm. affects their performance and some it doesn't. And we'll just have to wait and see what piece is here. Yep, definitely the bright lights will be shining on Saturday in Dallas here. But uh, moving along to the next fight on the card here, John, here's one that maybe doesn't necessarily have household names that jump out to to super casual fans, but this fight here between Damian Maya and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, uh, this is an excellent fight, John. And uh, Maya checks in 
a little bit surprisingly to me as the underdog. He's 7,800 on DraftKings, Masvidal 8,400. Uh, Maya's a plus 105 dog, Masvidal's a minus 125, but of course all of that could change based on any late money that comes in. It's just so close right now. It's really close to a pick actually. And similar, this fight reminds me a little bit, John, of the Jacare Souza-Robert Whitaker fight we saw a few weeks back where you have a guy like Souza, or in this case Damian Maya, coming in on a huge win streak with everything to lose against Jorge Masvidal, a, a striker with nothing to lose, basically. Uh, how do you see this one breaking down? Well, we all know how that worked out for Jacare, and um, the answer is not well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you're right. Maya is kind of in the same position. And I said before the Jacare Whitaker fight, I picked Jacare to win, but I also said that I thought Whitaker was a massive threat. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought it was a bad idea. The difference is here. I think Jacare, despite his loss, could still make another run up there because of the lack of top flight options in the middleweight in the um middleweight division mm-hmm. i think this is pretty much a, a must win for maya if he wants to get a title shot now he you're right he could have possibly sat out and waited for a shot but at age 39 surely he knows because mm-hmm. if, if he loses he sure as heck is going to be behind masvidal in the, you know in the rankings and in line for a shot and you know the ufc also on top of that the ufc does all these strange things all the time with their rankings which don't mean a whole heck of a lot mm-hmm. but my Maya knows he's going to get a title shot if he wins, and I said in, in our preview article, Masvidal is going to have a case to win too if he uh, if he if he comes out on top. I picked Masvidal, and the main reason I did is I think he has a considered advantage in the kickboxing game. Certainly, more power, more polish. But as we all know, that's not Maya's strength. Maya's strength is his ground game. Possibly and, some of the best ground game in not just the welterweight division, but the entire roster. It rivals anyone. I mean, half his but, wins by submission, three of his last four ended in rear naked choke. 100% one of the best ground grapplers in the sport of all time, really, in the history of the sport. You look at what he did to Neil Magny, who is not known for his ground game, but is you know a well above average UFC fighter, just completely embarrassed him. But you know the real thing that stood out to me was Maya's performance against Gunnar Nelson, who is also known as one of the best ground specialists in the world, who Maya made look like a complete amateur. Mm-hmm. And he looked like he looked like it was a guy who's been training his whole life against a guy who's never stepped into a fight before. And but the thing you have to remember here is Maya certainly you would say would have an edge in any ground battle against Masvidal as he would against most anybody. But Masvidal's takedown defense over his long UFC career, just about eighty percent of a tick under 79.8%, mm-hmm. which is an above-average number. If Masvidal is able to keep Maya off him, and the way you do that is you throw combinations and you land. And I think one of the things to keep an eye on here is although Maya is two feet taller, it's Masvidal with a two-inch reach advantage. So if he is able to keep, Mas- uh, keep Maya at a distance, land combinations, and limit Maya's ability, ability for takedowns and submission attempts, I think he has a really good chance to win. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's the key in this fight that you mentioned, John, is the takedown percent. Just a, just about 80% takedown defense here for Masvidal. He hasn't been taken out down in either of his last two fights, uh, both TKO victories over Donald Cerrone and Jake Ellenberger. And uh, yeah, that Cerrone fight was an upset where he came in as an underdog, but he really opened up a lot of eyes on that night. And I think uh, you convinced me in the article and, and after looking at the fight metric stats and everything, uh, I'm going to be with Masvidal on this one too. And I actually think he's a pretty decent DraftKings play at 8400 I mean especially I don't mind him in a cash game either just because you kind of go for that balance lineup in a cash game you have an average of a little over 8300 per fighter and Masvidal you get a favor with stop a favorite with stoppage potential in a fight with minus 150 odds to finish I don't think Masvidal is a bad DraftKings play at all of course anything can happen and you know of course Maya can if he gets that fight to the ground then things turn rather quickly but but like you said I think uh, Masvidal has shown us enough uh, with a, a younger fighter with a little bit of a reach advantage that he's going to be able to keep him off him and that's going to be the story of this fight yeah it is and you know a lot of people are talking about obviously the streak that Maya is on which has him on the verge of the title shot and although Jorge Masvidal is only four and three in his last seven fights all three losses which came against three excellent fighters in Ally Quinta when he was back at lightweight and then Lorenz Larkin and Benson Henderson at welterweight mm-hmm. You can make an argument that Masvidal won all those fights. He yeah. certainly he certainly won the Aya Quinta fight. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And you can make it for him in the other one. So he could, you know, very easily be six and one or seven and uh, six and one or seven and zero oh in his last mm-hmm. seven. So although the record might not be as strong recently as Maya's run is, you know, their performances have been equally strong of late. Mm-hmm. Yes, all three of those were split decision losses. So definitely some tough breaks in there here well let's move on john to the next bout which is another one i'm very excited about we've got a featherweight fight here between the experienced technical veteran and the kind of a wild young gun a little bit and, and i say that because frankie edgar ufc fans know who frankie edgar is he's gone toe-to-toe with some of the best in the ufc uh, featherweights of today and featherweights uh, of the past and he's going to take on yair rodriguez uh, rodriguez is about a plus 120 underdog edgar a minus 150 favorite so it's actually pretty close um and then the DraftKings salaries though a little bit further apart you're gonna have to fork out a thousand dollars more for edgar who sits at 8600 rodriguez at 7600 the odds to finish on this one are plus 170 now rodriguez is an exciting fighter a good prospect I start to get the sense that maybe they're pushing him a little too fast with Edgar, but you're going to have to get uh, to these fighters like this at some point, and I, I guess why not now, John? You can certainly make that argument, and the reason I think that these odds and salaries are so close is because of, as you mentioned, the unpredictability factor that Rodriguez brings to the cage. There really isn't one in anyone in the division or really in the sport who fights like he does. And this is obviously a monumental step up in competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fought BJ Penn his last time out. That, yeah, that, I, that's exactly what I was just going to say. And that's the perfect example. BJ Penn, who should still be retired. And Rodriguez, as expected in that fight, was able to tee off and land with absolutely anything he wanted. This is going to be a different story. It's hard to land consistent combinations when you have a guy in a future Hall of Famer like Frankie Edgar who's up in your face for an entire fight. And other than, other than Frankie's loss to Jose Aldo last year in a fight where you know, he looked off. Edgar, you know, he didn't look like himself. 
He looked uncomfortable and similar, much like he did in the first Aldo fight. He had trouble getting inside. But over the past four years, four and a half years, Aldo is the only guy who's given Edgar any trouble. He has everybody else figured out. So while Rodriguez is certainly um, one of the most interesting prospects in the sport, at age 24, he can afford a loss here. You know, there's no shame at age 24 in your first huge fight losing to a future Hall of Famer who's still a great fighter in Frankie Edgar. So, you know, this is going to be how does Edgar handle the unpredictability of Rodriguez? She can't train for a guy like that. There's no one in your sparring sessions that can mimic him. Yeah. And, you know, you can hire guys and tell them, you know, all right, well, when we spar, try and, you know, throw from odd angles and this, that, and the other thing. But it's not spinning, jumping kicks, essentially. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not the same. They say that all the time. You can't mimic. You can't mimic things like that. So um, the one thing that Rodriguez does have going for him is he has a big height advantage. He's 5'11", which for the the featherweight division is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are 145-pounders, remember? Most guys in the featherweight division, you know, 5'5", 5'6". 5'6", is how Edgar stands. In that area, but this guy's 5'11", so... Would I again, much like the main event, much like any of the other first three fights you talked about, would I be surprised if Rodriguez won? No, but Edgar certainly, much like Joanna in the co-main event, has a track record of success. Where I think you pick him and wait for the upset somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I'm actually I'm gonna be I'm gonna be right there with you, John. But you know, it, it would be an upset. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's upset potential in this, but uh, I'm playing it safe and going with Edgar. Sometimes I feel like I'm playing it a little too safe on this card, given the amount of close fights, and I'm going with Edgar as well. That being said, though, we talk about DraftKings a lot on the, on this show here, and I like Rodriguez as a potential GPP play. You know, he's one of those, not someone you want to play in your head-to-heads or your 50-50s, but you got to take down a big tournament like the Haymaker or even the Casual One or any of those other large tournaments you need, even though DraftKings has you put six fighters in your lineup now that allows for a little bit more differentiation than before, you need a low ownership guy to come through big. So I could see in at least one of your GPP lineups throwing Rodriguez in there at 7,600. That frees up enough salary cap space for you to go to another large favorite or a sure thing. There's no such thing as a sure thing, but you know, you pay a higher price, you get closer to a sure thing. So, uh, you know, they clears the salary up and maybe just maybe you hope for some kind of crazy kick or for him to catch Edgar off guard and then win. So that's the situation in which I'd use Rodriguez on DraftKings. Edgar's decent for a cash game play, but at 8600 the price might be a little bit steep, especially given that this fight is probably going to go the distance. Usually, Frankie Edgar's fights tend to do that, especially against solid competition like this. So I'm a little bit hesitant, but uh, but uh, yeah, that, that's how I see this one as, as far as a fantasy perspective goes. Certainly an excellent fight. Um, and the UFC has, in this fight, kind of a win-win situation on their hands because you can beat Rodriguez, Edgar immediately can say, okay, I beat one of the best young guys and put himself back on the title picture. And if Rodriguez loses, it's pretty much, well, the guy's 24 years old. You still get plenty more training. We'll see him again. So not really a whole lot of downside either way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if Edgar wins, he has as good a case of any to face the uh, the winner of the Aldo Holloway uh, bout in um, that's coming up at UFC 212. There's also some other interesting featherweights on that list. I'm talking about Ricardo Lamas or Cub Swanson is another one that's got some momentum going his way. So, you know, he'll have to contend with those guys, I guess, for a title shot here. But uh, but yeah, there's a long, promising career for Rodriguez ahead. He's a Jackson Wink MMA product, so you know he's been working on the technique and ha- will have a good game plan. One of the fights I'm most excited for on the card here. But to kick things off on the pay-per-view card, we've got ourselves a flyweight matchup here between Henry Cejudo and Sergio Pettis here. Cejudo checks in as a significant favorite in this one. He's 9,300 on DraftKings to reflect that. Pettis just 6,900. Cejudo about a minus 400 favorite if you go into Vegas this weekend. Pettis a plus 325 dog. Of course, these flyweights you don't get a ton of finishes here, so the odds to finish are about plus 200. Um, do you see this one being pretty chalk, John? Yeah, this this was the only one on the card, uh, the main card, that I thought was really straightforward. I understood the UFC's decision to put Rodriguez in the Edgar fight. I don't quite – well, I do understand why they put they put Pettis here, and that's because of the lack of depth in the division. That's why this fight is happening. This, to me, seems uh, – maybe he'll prove me wrong, but this, to me, seems like too much too fast for Sergio Pettis. Um, I've never – He's been regarded by some as one of the better prospects in the sport, young kid, um, still just 23 years old. There was more talk about it before his brother Anthony's career basically fell off a cliff. And, uh, you know, he can't win a fight. So, um, you know, he garnered more attention when his brother was on Wheaties boxes and was the lightweight champion and all that stuff. But this, Cejudo is has lost two fights in a row. But even with those two losses, the two losses were to Demetrius Johnson, um, who, of course, everybody loses to, and Joseph Benavidez. The Benavidez loss was split decision in his last fight. Cejudo was also dinged the point in round one for uh, low blows. So that was another fight. Could have gone either way, especially without the point deduction. I don't really know how. I'm not totally convinced Pettis is, is going to be able to handle Cejudo's wrestling game, which is what everything is based off of. He's an Cejudo as a former Olympic gold medalist. Cejudo knows what his strength is, and while Pettis seventy percent takedown defended over his UFC career, that's right about average um, in the sport. So I don't know. I don't trust Cejudo. I don't trust Pettis's power to threaten Cejudo to the point where Cejudo has problems with racking up takedowns. Um, this might not be pretty. This could be one of those grinding, lay on top of you, drag you down type affairs. But um, mm-hmm. I certainly think Cejudo wins. And this was really the only fight on the main card where I was fairly confident in my pick. Mm-hmm. I could have easily seen, I mean, for the record, I'm picking Cejudo as well for a lot of the same reasons. I just don't think Pettis has a lot of enough experience, especially in the wrestling department, to go up against a guy like this. But I was surprised that they had this one open the pay-per-view and not Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier. That's going to end the Fox Sports 1 prelims, and that's a pretty excellent fight as well. It is. And, I, I, you know, the UFC has gone lately with putting one really big fight as the main event of the prelims to get eyeballs on it. And I am almost certainly that's why they did this. Cejudo and Pettis not really household names, certainly not compared to Alvarez who had the whole, you know, Conor McGregor thing. So I'm certain that's why they decided to do it. You know, more people are going to watch the prelims than the pay-per-view, you know, obviously simply because it's free. 
Mm-hmm. So um, they can attract more eyeballs that way. Yeah, real quick. I mean, Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier is basically a pick on. They're both 8,100 on DraftKings. Uh, can you see using one of those guys in a lineup this week? Um, I could because I don't think that fight's going to go the distance. I think I pick Poirier, but I, uh, salaries on both of them are 8,100. Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to go in and slug it out. Yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I pick Poirier because I think he's the more explosive striker. Mm-hmm. But Poirier's displayed a questionable chin himself, so Alvarez could certainly land. And again, that's another beauty of this card where it's another high-quality fight that could go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from the, from, the, I mean, from the prelims to all the way to the top, we do have ourselves an excellent card. But we've ran through a bunch of these fights, John, here. But when it comes down to fantasy uh, MMA on DraftKings, uh, are there any values, either if they're fighters that we just talked about or fighters on the prelims, are there any values that you want to watch out for that maybe stick out to you um, on the card? Well, the one, that, the one that stood out to me a bit that I noticed right away was the fight between Christoph Jotko and David Branch. Mm-hmm. And... Jotko's at 8,700, Branch's at 7,500. Now, this to me is getting, not Jotko, but Branch to me is getting shockingly little publicity for a guy who is back with the company, mm-hmm. um, hadn't fought, hasn't fought for the company for many years, but when he just left the World Series of Fighting and signed with the UFC a couple months ago, he was a two-division champion when he left. Mm-hmm. He was, I believe, the middleweight champion and the light heavyweight champion when he left World Series of Fighting. So, I again, this is a good example of, okay, so how much of a difference in competition is there mm-hmm. between two companies? Yeah. You know, are, this, are the, not, I don't want to say the word scrubs, but are the lesser fighters in the UFC, can they go and, you know, rack up belts in other lesser promotions like it's nobody's business mm-hmm. and like it's challenge so i'm interested to see what branch at age 35 36 later this year can do against the high quality opponent in jotko who has plenty of impressive wins but oddly enough has never fought in north america in his entire career so um i said in last time that jotko fought i think it was definitely time for him to not only get a better opponent but he was one of those guys who was a mainstay in all those European cards, fight pass cards that they hold. Mm-hmm. So he's coming to North America here, 27 years old, a guy that not a lot of people know about. But he's going up against a talented guy in Branch who was, I, I guess you, you'd certainly consider World Series of Fighting the number three promotion in the sport behind the UFC and Bellator. Mm-hmm. He was a guy who was a, a two-division champion when he left. You know, that's, I'm, not, I'm not, obviously not comparing him to Conor McGregor. But, you know, how often do you see a guy in any promotion hold two belts at the same time? You know, yeah. very rare. So he's he's not getting enough respect, John. I'm definitely with you. I mean, I don't care what promotion it is, but to go through and rattle off 10 wins in a row, many of or most of those were nationally televised. That's still a big enough stage, and it still takes a good amount of, you know, mental clarity and focus and toughness and dedication and preparation to be able to pull something like that off, regardless of the banner that's flying above your head. Oh, it definitely does. And, um... Branch's last fight was the belt um, when he won the champ, uh, light heavyweight championship. I'm sorry, he defended his middleweight championship. Was the Bellator card, uh, the uh, World Series of Fighting card, excuse me, that they held at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, he's been on a big stage and he's fought in the UFC before. So I don't, you know, I don't, don't think he's going to have 
jitters regarding that. And again, this David Branch hasn't lost a fight since November of 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the so, Rumble, right? Uh, yeah, Anthony Rumble Johnson. Yeah, I'm sorry, May, two, May 2012. Yeah, and that was to Rumble in a fight where they both missed weight, oddly enough. But, um, huh. no, yeah, so this is a guy who, if nothing else, I think he's getting under, like you said, if nothing else, even if he doesn't win, he's certainly getting underappreciated. Yeah, right on here. I, I, I really like that analysis because you're very right, John. He's not, he's not getting enough eyes, and this is going to be one that I'll certainly be tuning into the prelims a little bit earlier for. Um, <coughs> from, a, from a math odds-based perspective, I just wanted to throw – Chase Sherman out there and I know he's lost two fights in the UFC here but at the very least he has some UFC experience for 8300 which is less than the average fight per fighter you're going to get a guy that's about a minus 150 minus 160 favorite with minus 300 odds to finish I like that from a math standpoint as far as building a lineup uh, both giving you salary relief and offering you the potential for big bonus now I'm not saying I know a ton about this guy and he's all of a sudden going to out technique this Coulter person who I know very very little about I just I I think the numbers say that that could be an okay pick it it definitely could and I am never I always when you're trying to fill out the bottom part of your lineup I always advocate taking heavyweights because mm-hmm. the fight rarely lasts long, and even if it's a coin flip in regards to who's going to win, you know, put one guy in your lineup, flip a coin, and pray to God he gets an early knockout. You know, mm-hmm. so I, if you're in this, if you're trying to fill out a spot, not just in this card but any card, I always advocate taking heavyweights because of the general relative short time that the fights last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, that's why we start putting the odds to finish on the um, on our articles every week. So definitely check those out on rotowire.com. Free content, by the way, just like this pod here. Um, and yeah, I mean, DraftKings, they did emphasize grappling a little bit more, so it's not so finish heavy as it once was, but it's still pretty finish heavy. You, getting those guys is a good way for you to win tournaments and lineups uh, overall or just cash in those cash games here. But, uh, John, before we wrap up here, uh, any fight, prelims, or main event, main card that you're most excited for? You know, I'm excited it's for tough on this one. It is. And I guess the one which I, I know you're interested to would be the Edgar Rodriguez fight because it's mm-hmm. obviously Rodriguez's biggest challenge. And I'm curious how a veteran, Frank, a veteran like Edgar, who has seen everything, mm-hmm. how he can handle a kid who fights with a style that we rarely seen before. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I find that interesting. And I'm interested in seeing how, you know, Joanna and Jacek handles the power of Jessica Andrade, which is something that she hasn't really seen before. She's seen fighters who are good wrestlers and all-around fighters and good strikers as far as combination and technique, but never someone with the legitimate, um, you know, power to hurt you on the feet in the hands like Andrade does. So I'm interested to see that as well. But overall, even the all, essentially all the, um, you know, prelim fights and even the fight pass fights, Mm -hmm. this is one of the better cards you're going to see as far as depth. Yes, it's definitely the best card of 2017 on paper. There's, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Uh, on paper, this is definitely the best one. You know, cards can all play out differently, but uh, there should be some close matchups here. Yeah, there should. And like, like you just said, you know, obviously you could have a fight where it looks like it's going to be fireworks and you know, people end up falling asleep. You, you never know what's going to happen, but there are plenty of UFC cards, even in pay-per-views we say these days, where the main cards are lousy, 
and the prelims mm-hmm. are I don't want to say unwatchable, but you know, essentially fighters that nobody's heard of and have little interest or bearing on the future of the promotion. And this is not one of those cards. If you're one of those people who only wants to shell out cash or, you know, go to the bar for a card that is high quality, this is the one to go for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% agree. And, you know, a lot of times the UFC, when they do two title fights, they'll tone down the rest of it. Absolutely not the case here. So definitely one worth coming out for. Well, folks, thanks again for listening to our Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts podcast here. Uh, once again, John, thanks for joining me today. Give John a follow on Twitter at John Littering. I'm Jake Letarski. You can follow me at jakeski52. We'll be back with you guys prior to UFC 212, which is Jose Aldo against Max Holloway. John, until next time. Thanks. I'll see you soon.